Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. wants to listen to him and uh one one sunday uh the computer messed up and it like lost the audio and she was like oh no what will i do and i was like it's okay and i sent her an old one um so make sure we're recording my grandma will love it um so today we start our advent series you'll see a nice boom right there for you it's titled king um and that's what we're focusing on is the arrival of the king prophesied um who that king is And how is that king, which we know is Jesus, spoiler alert, um, how is he different than what was expected? How is he still different than what we expect as a king? Um, Today we're going to be focusing on Luke chapter 1. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can turn there. If you don't have a copy, there's one on the back table for you. There's French, English. Um, It'll be on the screen if you want. And if you want to follow along on your phone, I'll be preaching out of the HCSB if you'd like to follow along in that translation. But yeah, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, primarily verses 26 through 38. Uh, And we're looking at the promise of the king. So that's the highlight. Like we're looking at the promise of the king to come. And we'll be talking about the characteristics of our king um, and what that promise means to us, like what it meant to Mary, what it meant to the world, and what it means to us right now in this room. Um, So with that in mind, let's read Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. It says this, In the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Continuing verse 29, it says, But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 31, Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? And in verse 35, the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and is in the sixth month of her, uh, month of her who was called childless. Verse 37 and 38, in, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Let's pray quickly over that. God, we pray over the reading of your word, that you would bless it, that you would amplify, and you would be glorified through it. Would your words pour out? Would you speak and teach us the truth and the meaning behind this word? God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're probably familiar with this passage of Scripture, and then you're probably familiar with what's to come after it. Um, But we're just focusing on this chunk today, and I want us to break it down and truly understand the importance of 
almost every word being said here because they're not written on accident and they weren't said by accident. So we're just going to break it down a verse at a time. And starting in verse 26, just simply, an angel sent by God to Nazareth. So pause, like immediately pause. Why would it list the name of a city? I love, so I read this week, chronologically, this is the first mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament. The first time it's ever talked about. One pastor said this way, Nazareth is remarkable for its unremarkable nature. It was unmentioned in the Old Testament and the Apocrypha and in the writings of Josephus. So that just means like it was not talked about. Like it wasn't written in these historical contexts. It wasn't written in the Old Testament scripture. Um, it just wasn't talked about. Um, though Nazareth is in the general region of Galilee, um, it's 24 kilometers away from the Sea of Galilee. So pretty far. Um, it's almost 10 kilometers from the closest major road. Um, and Nazareth had no good water supply, only one well in the center of the village. So I love that we start there, that Jesus would forever be identified with this place, being repeatedly called Jesus of Nazareth, and his follows and acts we see are even called Nazarenes. Already we see the promised king's arrival in a completely different way than we ever imagined. Most would think he would come from like the capital city. He's going to be from the biggest place, the biggest family, the most known. He's going to come and conquer and be this big name um, in this loud and grand way. But our king, the king of kings, comes in this way from Nazareth, an unremarkable and forgettable city. Because our king comes in the unexpected. Remember that in this Advent season, that our king comes in the unexpected. Not in how we think he should do it or the best way that we think, but in the greatest way because it's how he has planned and how he sees. Because he is not like any king in this world. In this season, as we talk about Jesus, our king, and the coming of that king and him coming again, it is so important for us to know that he is so different from any king of this world and that these things we see of him might seem so strange to us, but this is what makes him the king of all kings. And even in doing so, coming from this unremarkable, unforgettable city, he still fulfills the prophecy when we see in verse 27, the angel says, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. So we know from Old Testament scripture, the promised king, the deliverer, the savior, was to be from the line of David. Um, These words are given to fulfill the prophecy that's written in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. I encourage you to read that um, throughout the Advent series or the Advent season of being reminded that like a thousand years ago in 2 Samuel, it was written that there would be a king that would come from the line of David and that king would be Jesus. And then it says, and to a virgin, which is prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, which is almost 700 years before this, says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, regardless of what you want to step into this room and believe, it's historically true 
that these scriptures were this old and promised this, and this is how our king came and the most unremarkable city, but fulfilled thousands of years of prophecy. Crazy. Our king comes in this way, as was promised. He fulfills these prophecies, um, but not how people thought or what they were looking for. And as we continue in verses 28 through 30, the angel, Gabriel, says to her, Gabriel says three things to identify Mary, and each of these things were certainly true of her. Um, The first one, she was highly favored, um, that that the Lord was with her, and that she was blessed. What I love about these statements is each of these are true of a believer in Jesus as well because our king has come. So the first one, we are highly favored as Mary was, which is in Ephesians 1, 6. Check that out. The Lord is with us in Matthew 28, 20. And we are blessed is written in Ephesians 1, 3. So each of these three truths that, that the angel brings to Mary and says, you are favored the Lord is with you, you are blessed, are all because of the arrival of Jesus, the presence of him coming, and then the beauty and through that, that as our Savior is born and takes our place, then these three statements each become true of us. Because our king came in the unexpected, this is true. So in the Advent season, just I want us to take time to just remember those three truths. Like, it's very easy for me to read over those things. You'd be like, oh, yeah, Mary, she gets those things because she has this amazing privilege of carrying the Savior and giving birth to Jesus. But the beauty in these statements is they're not accidentally written. They're written on purpose, and they also show us who we get to be because our King has come. So I simply want to take a step back and look at those and say, thank you, Jesus. Say, God, thank you that I am highly favored because of what you've done. God, thank you that you are with me. God, thank you that I am blessed because of your presence. So I encourage you, write those statements down. And this week, just revisit them. Um, as we, we question, like, what is Advent? What do we do in Advent? And this word that means coming, what do we do in that? I, I challenge you to reflect on what that means, who came, how is it significant to us, and like those three statements, which there is a slide for them. Um, reflect over those this week. You can write the scriptures down, and I challenge you to go over them. And, and every morning, like if you're doing an Advent devotional, that's great. If not, like reflect this week over these three statements. But as we continue in Luke In verse 31, we'll see that there are three words that the person to be born of Mary, which is the virgin birth, will be king. You wonder, like, how do we get the title for this series, King? Good question. In verse 31, there's three words that identify this. So we have the word throne, which it says the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. We have the word reign, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We have the word kingdom. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So we have no doubt that this is the king that's prophesied in the Old Testament. We have no doubt that the angel is announcing the arrival of the king that is promised. He will have a throne, he will reign, and that reign, his kingdom will never end. So there's no doubt. I challenge you this morning. Have no question. Jesus is the promised Savior. And we'll look 
and continue as what this king is to be. What defines our king? What words from the text describe what king he is to be? Because a lot of times when I hear the word king, I automatically think of like this crown. If you're like me, I think of a sword. I don't know why. Um, And I think of like a purple robe because I don't know. Like, does anyone else have kind of like a picture like that? Or do you just like picture anything else? Nothing. Do you picture like the royal family? I hope not. I hope not. Um, So we're going to talk about what traits define our king. Um, So we'll start looking at Luke 135. The first one we see is holy. It's one of the words that defines our king. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, talking to Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and called holy. The word holy simply means pure, good, without any defect or deficiency or blemish. This word is full of hope for us because it means that this person is fit to die as a spotless lamb of God in our place. And he is fit to rule as a flawless king. Unholy kings create the need for democracy. A perfect, holy king would create universal peace and perfect justice. This is who he is. He is holy. The second word we see that defines our king is the word great. And it's not how we define great. Like oftentimes we think of a great person being this person who maybe leads a bunch of people or is super loud or wins a Nobel Prize, whatever it be, which can be sort of great things. A lot of those are great things, but we see greatness defined as our Savior simply from Matthew 23, 11. And after this, ask Juan to quote it because um, he should know it. But it says, the greatest among you must be a servant. And that's the kind of king Jesus is, and that's what defines his greatness, is his humbleness, that he would be Savior and come as a baby, And that he would serve before he did anything else. That defines our king's greatness. So our king is holy. He is great like no other. And the third thing we see is he is son of God. And this doesn't have the same impact on us today because we're unfamiliar with this terminology or language or the idea of being son of God. Um, But Mary and all of the other Jewish people in her culture knew what this meant um, they knew that this child would be equal to God. In John 5, 18, it says this, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him, talking about Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this idea is so much more than just like, oh, like I have a son, his name's Judah. You guys know he's my son. Like, It's so much deeper in this culture of saying, like, if he is a son of God, he is equal to and with God. And that caused a lot of problems within the Pharisees, and it's kind of one of the reasons why they put him on the cross. Um, So it's important for us to know that Jesus Jesus did not become the son of God being born here. He was called the son of God because he already was recognizing his nature from all of eternity. Not just this moment, but all moments here, now, before, and forever. So our king is holy. He is great. He is the son of God. And he is also known as Jesus. That's the fourth word we see. God chooses the name of his son to be Jesus. And in Matthew one twenty one, which is another story um, about what we're reading today, 
It says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus literally translates the Greek, um, I don't know how to say it. It's the Greek esuis, which corresponds to the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Savior. Therefore, the king of the universe is given the name from birth. Even before birth, he's given the name Savior. Not Savior of the righteous, but Savior of the sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. And even he's quoted himself saying, for the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. So our king comes into the world as holy, as great, as son of God, and as savior. And I don't know about you, but I am definitely one of those people that needs saving. All his holiness, his greatness, and all his deity and power stand in the service of his saving mercy. God broke into the universe to be holy and divine and a saving king. Our king is holy, great, son of God, Jesus. And the last one we see here in verse 33, he is forever. The king of Israel, who is also king of the universe, will never be replaced, church. There will never be an election for a new president of the universe. There will never be a successor sitting upon the throne of Jesus. His kingdom is forever. Therefore, salvation and the protection of his salvation are forever. I want you to know that this morning. That the arrival of our king, he brings saving, and through his saving, his reign is forever. It cannot be taken away. It might be challenged, but it will not be defeated, for the darkness will not overcome. This is our king, church. The king of kings. He is holy, great, the son of God. He is known as Jesus, and he is forever. And this is how this, these magnificent words we read, we're like, surely this person is going to come in this grand fashion. And that's what all the people of this time are looking for, too. And this is how he came. This is his arrival. Verse 34, Mary kind of quickly drops a question of like, hey, how's this going to happen? Because um, I haven't done the steps it takes to have a baby um, and if you don't know what those steps are, I'll have a side conversation with you. I don't think I need to say that from up here. Um, She's like, I haven't done the adult things that take me to um, that place. And it's a valid question. Um, and so she's kind of like, what? this doesn't make any sense. How is this to come? How is this savior of the world? How is this king, this holy, great king, how is he to come? I don't understand. And verse 35, the angel says to her, the word... He uses here when he says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The word overshadow means to cover with a cloud, um, which you might be familiar with that term reading in Exodus 16, 19, 24, 34, and 40. It uses the same word, um, this cloud of glory that shadows over or the cloud of transfiguration in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9 is all the same word. It talks about this overshadowing, this covering of a cloud. So we can understand that this cloud was a visible manifestation of the glory and presence of God. This means that the same power of God that was with Moses and others in the Old Testament was now going to do a unique work in the life of Mary. And I read someone put it this way. It was really nice. 
this delicate expression that the angel uses here, the overshadowing of the Spirit, says this delicate expression rules out any crude ideas of a mating of the Holy Spirit with Mary. See, because the virgin birth is unique in Christianity. Many mythologies have legends about a God who had relations with women producing offspring, but the idea of a virgin birth is unique only to Christianity. So I want us to understand that this overshadowing of the Spirit, this overcoming of the Spirit, might not make sense to you, um, but this is the way, and our Savior came, and, and we have to just be okay with, like, I don't understand the full workings of the Spirit and His power, but I know that He chose His words carefully when it said, the Spirit over, will overshadow you, and you will give birth to a son. Continuing in verse 37, we'll look at, she's kind of like in this questioning, like I can imagine the angels like saying these things to her and he's like, hey, he's going to overshadow you and she'll probably remember these scriptures because Jewish people would know their scriptures well. And she'd be like, oh, like the covering of the cloud of the spirit. And she's like, probably got this perplexed face on her. And she's like, I'm like 14, 15 years old. This is terrifying. And so the angel like responds in verse 37 He's like, hey, the word of God will never fail. God will absolutely perform what he said. The word for nothing here um, that it uses is literally no word will be impossible for God. No thing is impossible for him. And he's even kind of calling back to this divine promise of a son that we read in Genesis 18, 14, um, that God promises Sarah, where he says, is anything possible or is anything impossible for the Lord? The same wording used there, that would definitely make Mary think of that. It says, is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. In the same way, the angel says here, Nothing is impossible with the Lord, for the word of God will never fail. And I was challenged with that this week of do not doubt the word of the Lord. Just because I can't understand how this happened or make sense of how the Spirit works or how Jesus is to come or did come, it does not mean he cannot do it. I'm sure Mary had all these questions of like, that seems impossible. How is this to be? It's not logical, but that does not mean the Lord cannot do it. Because the angel says nothing is impossible for the Lord. His word will never, ever fail. And this is Mary's response to all of this that just happened. All of this just sprung on her as a young lady of, you're going to have, the, like, you are favored, you are blessed. The Savior of the world will come through you, and it will come in this miraculous way as prophesied. You and I would probably respond in a much different way. Um, we'd probably freak out, and like Juan, I'd eat a bunch of chocolate. That's what he said. That's what he does after a long day, and I'm like, same. Um, we need to find better ways to satisfy ourselves. Um, instead of doing that, Mary looks and she says, I'm the Lord's slave. I'm the Lord's slave. I'm his servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left. Oh my gosh, church. This is what like just smacked me around this week. This is faith. 
After all of this, she looks and says, I am the king's servant. I could do nothing else. His word will be done. And all of this took more trust in the Lord than you might understand this morning. Mary agreed to receive a pregnancy that would be extremely suspicious. In a culture that had a potential death penalty for adultery, she said, I am the Lord's servant. Mary identified herself with sinners so that the purposes of God would be fulfilled. And remember at the start, the angel looked at Mary and said, you are favored and graced for this. I don't know about you, but if I was put in the same exact place, I do not know if I could confidently say I felt favored. If I was to face all that she was to face taking this on, I don't know if I'd look and say, yeah, this is the grace and favor of the Lord. Because the highest and most precious gifts of God do not always come to us in attractive colors. I read someone this week put it this way. Grace and favor can perplex. Grace can frighten. The grace of healing may have the face of a needle or a surgeon's knife. The grace of patience may have the face of pain. The grace of humility may have the face of defeat. Oh, church, how we need to learn from Mary not to lash out at God for the frightening forms of grace and instead respond like her. The king has come. He's coming again. And I'm his servant. I could do nothing else. Oh, church, this week as I look back, and I look back at the, the past couple months where, you know, we can just get into these places of being like, God, this is so hard if my life is supposed to be easier, you know. It's like I get in this mindset of like, okay, I've been, I've been kind of messing up. It's like, okay, I'll come back to Jesus, and then I'll receive his grace and favor, and my week's going to be a lot easier, and it's going to be better, and maybe I'll get that promotion, or, or maybe I'll, I'll get a better grade on this because, you know what, I've been living how I'm supposed to be. I've been, I've been coming to church. I've been serving more. Like, shouldn't it get easier? And he's like, no, no, no. My favor looks like stress sometimes. My favor looks like pain sometimes. My grace looks like being humbled and being defeated. Because if his glory is to be shown, I have no other choice, church. I will walk through that. I will be challenged as Mary is to say, I am your servant I will take on whatever it takes if I'm to be disgraced or shamed or stressed or worried, whatever it be, for the grace and glory of the Lord, I am his servant. Oh, I challenge you, church, with the coming of our king, he came and is coming again. Would that be our response in this room? I am your servant. And whatever it be, I'm your servant. Your will be done because nothing is impossible through you. I will go through it. As we kind of wrap up these thoughts, um, as we title this series King, Church, the King has come. Our Savior came. And he came in the humble form of a baby. 
He lived a sinless life where we fail to do. And he hung on a cross to pay the punishment of yours and my sin. And he rose from the grave. And by this, he offers us salvation. This is our king. This is what we worship and praise in this season. Church, our king has come and his reign is forever and ever. Amen. And he is coming again. And because of this, because he came, you as a Jesus follower, if you give your life to Jesus, because our king came, you are favored. You have value. The Lord is with you regardless of what you think this morning. He is with you. Regardless of where you were last night, he is with you. And you are blessed. So I challenge you, how do I respond in this Advent series? Am I thankful for these truths that not by what I've done, but by Jesus' acts, they are true of me? And I simply respond with one thing, nothing else, just I am your servant. So church, I want us to celebrate this morning. Our king has come the king that is holy and great, the son of God, Jesus, and forever has come. And he's coming again. I want us to worship that this morning as we ask the Lord to just prepare our hearts for this season. It's so, so, so easy to get wrapped up in just the stress of winter and Christmas. It's like, oh, I have all these these gifts I got to buy and I'm kind of low on finances, and I've got to work more this season, and, and it's getting cold, so I don't want to be outside, and the sun sets at 4 p.m., so that's depressing. Like, all of these things coming together is so easy to take our mind off what we should be celebrating. Church, we should be so joyfully celebrating for the entire month of December as followers of Jesus because we are reminded of Advent, of his coming, and of his coming again. And some days that's easier than others. So I want us every morning to reflect on some of these truths. Revisit it this week as, as, as you wake up and you're like, oh, this season is stressful. The stress might not change, but we can have joyful and worshipful hearts because our king has come. And we should reflect that. Let us be joyful and celebrate and look forward to his coming again. So I'm going to take time and pray over us, and I challenge you as we pray um, that you would voice prayers to the Lord through this and be, be honest with him. Um, before I started preparing for this sermon, I don't know if I was in the Advent heart. Um, just kind of started thinking about all the things of like, am I going to get to see family on Christmas? What about travel? What about work? What about this? And I was just kind of wrecked and challenged this week with what is at the first thought of my day every day in this season? Where do I begin? Is it immediately with the stress? Is it immediately with the TikToks? Immediately with the eggnog? Whatever it be, where do I start? And is it starting in a place of worshiping and thanking Jesus for his arrival? So I challenge you this week as we pray. 
pray that he would just reshape your heart for that. Um, and if you're looking to like start an Advent devotional, I started one um, a couple of days ago. I'd never done one before. Um, and I found a free one online through Desiring God. Um, we, I trust them completely. So if you want to know where to get that, come and talk to me. It's absolutely free. Um, and it's just a great way to start every morning just in reflection of Advent and our King's arrival and just preparing our hearts um, for this truth instead of being wrapped up in the stress and the lies that culture creates. So let's pray, and then we'll continue and worship through song, and let's celebrate our King. God, we come to you this morning just, one, asking for forgiveness for making Christmas about so much other than you. God, myself, I want to lay down all of the try to planning I do for my life of trying to make sure everything's handled or whatever it be or stressing about this or that and, and wondering if this is going to come through. Whatever, Lord, I want to lay at your feet. God, I want this season to be a worshipful time of praising joyfully a king who has come and is coming again. God, would you humble us this morning to not make ourselves more important than that and our tasks to be done not more important than starting our days in worship of the King. God, you have come, and we are so grateful for that. God, write this truth over our hearts this week. We'll be reminded of you. God, we worship you this morning. God, we thank you for everything, that you came as a baby and you lived a sinless life and paid the price on a cross for me so that I can be called favored and blessed. Thank you, Lord. Remind us of these truths every day, God. We worship you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.